0: Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmer's Guardian. I'm your host for this week, Farmer's Guardian business reporter Alex Black. Don't forget we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday, so make sure that you're subscribed on your favourite platform. Now beef prices have been increasing steadily since the start of 2021, and later on in the show we'll have a bit of a market update from HCC. But first we're talking about Farmer's Guardian's new campaign, Farming Can. It's a public-facing campaign looking to showcase everything that Farming Can deliver for the UK. Over the next 12 months, Farming Can will be distilling real-life farming stories, initiatives, case studies and strategies into informative, bite-sized messages for the public. We'll be sharing all of this on our social media platforms, so make sure that you're following Farming Can. And we want you all to get involved using the hashtag farmingcan. Can, but you might be wondering, well, where do I start? Well, Jess Fredenberg has been finding out the best ways to tell your farming story.
1: The Farmer's Guardian Farming Can campaign can only go big if as many farmers as possible get involved in telling the industry's story. So, how do you tell stories well? How do you respond to tricky questions? Here to help brush up those skills is journalist and broadcaster Anna Jones. Anna is a farmer's daughter from the Welsh Borders and works as a producer and director and occasional presenter for... Country file, Farming Today, On Your Farm and Costing the Earth, among others. After a Nuffield scholarship looking at media coverage of agriculture around the world, Anna set up Just Farmers, a project to train farmers to speak to the media. Anna, tell us about Just Farmers. What, what do you do exactly and why did you feel there was a need in
2: the beginning for you to start it? Just Farmers is... Really simple idea, we get small groups of farmers together and they're from a wide range of farming sectors and systems. It's fully funded by our sponsors, the Frank Parkinson Agricultural Trust, the Prince's Countryside Fund, and the Mercer uh, Family Charitable Foundation. We're really lucky to have support from them. Each of our farmers gets four days of training, and um, yeah, in in their workshops they look at how to tell stories, how to how to pitch stories. So if they've got something interesting happening on the farm, how to approach a member of the media and pitch a story in a way that is going to help that journalist. So it's not about helping you advertise yourself or promote yourself. It's about working constructively with the media and helping the media uh, do what they need to do. And uh, we teach them how to make videos on their phones, um, how to feel confident in interview situations. And we get lots of guest journalists coming in and talking about the media and how it works, and why was there a need for it? Well, that was when I did my Nuffield scholarship, uh, which I finished in 2017, where I looked at the coverage of farming issues in the media. And back then, I do think it's got better since then, but back then it was particularly fraught. There was a lot of division, um, farmers feeling very victimized, very much blamed for all of the problems in the world ever. And um, the media, I felt at the time, just wasn't doing a brilliant job at finding farmers and getting their stories. They were going to the same people over and over again. And um, yeah, I just felt that we needed more voices, more diverse voices and um, a better, closer relationship between farmers and the media. So that's where it came from.
1: Nice. No, It sounds really interesting and like you're really working on people's skills in all sorts of different ways i mean one thing i think that's quite important to talk about is nuance and tone because like you just mentioned uh farming has come up against quite a lot of different um uh, perhaps you know it's been blamed for a lot of different things over the years particularly recently how how do you approach that in terms of nuance and and tone and sort of teaching farmers about that
2: Well, the first thing that I do get asked a lot whenever I speak at conferences or farming events, I get asked a lot about how to counteract negative propaganda, the anti-farming agenda. And first things first, like I personally, I don't believe there is an anti-farming agenda. I, I think that sometimes we can get ourselves embroiled in a bit of conspiracy thinking, thinking that everybody's out to get us. And uh, everybody hates farmers and they just want to prove that they are wrong all of the time. I do think that there are tough questions to be answered. And I do think that there are a bit of some some discomforting challenges. But I wouldn't say that they are not legitimate. And uh, and I think the first thing I would say is, is embrace it. And rather than letting that red mist rise up where you get that angry feeling and you just want to kind of shout back the first thing is to kind of absorb it and to really ask yourself, is this a misinformed comment? Is this an unfair question? Is this an attack and really be honest with yourself or is it a genuine legitimate concern? And do I have something here that I do need to respond to? And I I think so often we're just letting that anger rise up in us. And we're not actually thinking, actually, you know what, that's a fair point. And I can see why people think that. And I can see why people are worried about that. So then once we have put ourselves in the shoes of the person asking the question, we can then respond in an honest and open way, which is what I'm always saying is, is, you know, try and be as open as you possibly can, even about the uncomfortable things, because we're not going to get moved forward and solve these problems until we all start laying our cards on the table and having a good, honest, down to earth chat where we can just get it all out there. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people that do have a real chip on their shoulder about farming, and they do seem to relish any opportunity to stick it to the farmers. And they do exist. And I'm not saying they don't when you might find yourself in a conversation with somebody like that, usually it's best to just kind of remove yourself from the confrontation. So if you feel that it's just becoming a slanging match and you're not going to get anywhere and that person for whatever reason just isn't open to listening to you, they've made up their mind, they've decided that's that, you're not really going to achieve anything. So if you are talking to somebody like that on social media um you know thank you very much for your query i think we're going to have to agree to disagree thanks very much bye bye um because some people don't want to change their mind and uh and that goes for farmers as well you know i do meet farmers who are that entrenched in their view that everything they are doing is right and there's no room for improvement and i don't have anything to learn and i'm just going to carry on doing what i've always done they also exist in our industry and um You know, this isn't just a problem that the environmental movement have or the animal welfare movement have. This problem of very entrenched views exists in our industry too and we have to own that and recognise that it's not about whether you're an animal rights activist and it's not about whether you're a farmer, it's about the personality that you have and if you have one of those personalities where you don't listen to anyone else you know that (laughs) What can you do with that? What can you do with that? So we just have to make sure that the conversations are happening between the people that can listen. Um, And that's the majority of us, isn't it? Most of us are rational, um, kind of even-handed people that can see both sides. And I think it's about remembering that most of us are reasonable people.
1: Absolutely. And, And I guess... Um, you know if you're if you're thinking about not necessarily responding to something but if you're thinking about proactively going out there and trying to share farming's story in all sorts of ways then are there any tips that you give uh, that you give farmers about how to start telling their stories in a kind of positive engaging proactive
2: way well that's um about thinking like a journalist really so that's less about being a farmer and more about being a storyteller and honing that skill so that is a new skill that you have to learn and it's kind of separate to your farming um because telling a story you can tell a story about anything and it's about understanding structure it's um understanding what is that story you're going to tell before you attempt to tell it so um it's really, <laughs> you know, that feeling where you get an idea and you're like, oh, that's great. I'm going to go and film that on my phone and put it on the social media. And uh, but before you know it, you've been filming for eight minutes. Nothing's really happened. You've just been driveling on in the background and you haven't really said anything that interesting. And it's just coming across like a bit of a stream of consciousness. Now, that's because you didn't plan it. You didn't come up with a structure. You didn't come up with a beginning, middle and end. And you just went out there and started shooting from the hip and making it up as you go along. That's never going to make good content. We would never make a TV program or a radio program like that. Before we press record or publish anything, we write down what we're going to do. So where are we going to open this story? How are we going to draw our viewer or our listener in? What's going to hook them? Then we give them all of the meaty bit in the middle, all the interesting stuff, and then we wrap it up neatly at the end with a really good, thought out conclusion. So if you're planning on putting a message out there, think about it, plan it, don't rush it, and think of it as a piece of artwork. You know, it's something that you're going to have to put a bit of time into. You can't just knock it off in two minutes and shove it on Twitter. It's got to have a bit of thought behind it.
1: Does that does that sort of change, would you say, depending on which media you're using, whether you're doing a video, maybe whether you're sharing a story with a photo on Instagram or, you know, how would you approach that differently depending on the media?
2: Yeah, I think if it's a video, definitely you've got to plan it. And if it's a blog post, again, plan it and make sure it's got a nice structure that draws people in. If you're just popping a, a photo on Instagram, Yeah, you know, as long as it's a nicely framed photo, uh, you don't just want to just grab something without thinking about how you're going to compose that photo and make it look as nice as it possibly can. Um, But think about your hashtags. Um, Is there a little one liner that you can put out there that's really going to make people smile? So some of the funniest tweets and some of the funniest um, things that I see on social media only have a line. They only have a few words, but they really make me laugh. What
1: about Anna? What about the importance of different
2: types of farmers getting involved
1: in this campaign and trying to share their their stories? Um, because we've we've obviously, you know, farming is obviously very varied. Um, you know, what how important is it that farmers of all different systems and all different personalities and views and everything get involved in this?
2: I can't emphasize enough how important that diversity is because um in just farmers we reserve a place in in our workshops for all sectors so we want to make sure that in the poultry sector for instance we want to make sure that we have an indoor producer either producing enriched colony or barn eggs or running a a broiler system and we also reserve a place for free range and organic producers as well, who are farming more extensively. Same with pigs, same with dairy. We like to have housed dairy systems and grass-based systems, Um, indoor pigs, outdoor pigs. You know, we we are genuinely, we take that kind of balance really seriously. But the problem we are seeing at the moment um, is as the agroecology movement and the regenerative farming movement really gathers pace, um, which is a brilliant thing to see we have noticed that our applications have shot through the roof for those guys which is wonderful but people running more intensive farming systems or indoor systems they've really fallen off a cliff and that's a worry to me as a journalist who takes impartiality very seriously because you know we are not for we are not A project for just one type of farmer we are very inclusive and yes a lot of people want to see British agriculture moving towards more of a regenerative model but there are still thousands of families in this country who are farming not in that way and we don't we don't want them to feel like they've lost their voice or that they've lost their place they are still welcome with open arms and we would love to see more applications coming in
1: And I'm sure it's the the same with the the Farming Can campaign, that we will want farmers of all different systems um, and sectors involved. What would you say to those farmers who are perhaps running a more intensive system, particularly maybe with livestock involved that might be feeling particularly nervous about um getting out there and making themselves more visible. What would you suggest to them about how they can approach uh explaining to people what they do and, and why they do it?
2: Let's be honest here, Jess, it is harder for them because there is a lot of scrutiny on their system at the moment and there will continue to be. So, um, so I think the first thing is to join a network like just farmers where you can be part of a supportive group of people with no judgment. And, and those people will include people running smaller organic or outdoor systems as well, you know, it, but there will be no judgment. And we, we make sure that everyone that signs up, um, pledges that there will be a friendly and kind environment even if somebody is farming in a way that you don't agree with that that person is a friend and should be treated with respect i do i do know the problem that intensive livestock systems have with using social media because let's face it if you do have sows in farrowing crates or you have broilers in a shed or whatever it might be that isn't as pretty as the beef and sheep producer out on their quad bike on a beautiful hillside overlooking the Cumbrian Fells or the Welsh Hills. It just isn't as a beautiful image. But it's still food production. And, you know, we we do need to have that open and honest conversation about how our food is produced. And what I always say is, if you don't let the public see what you're doing and if you keep it hidden like you're ashamed of it, or that you're frightened of people seeing. That does not put out an image of pride in what you do. And if you are proud of what you do, then you need to to be willing to stand up and champion it. Because if you don't champion it, who will? Nobody else will. It is down to you to do that job. So if you believe in what you're doing, then come and show us. If you don't believe in what you're doing and you want to hide it, then are you in the right kind of farming? Should you be doing something else if you want to hide it away? So, you know, if you're proud, and I'm sure you are, come and show us. And if you don't open up your doors to the public, what we have seen in recent years is that those with an agenda will get in somehow and they will show your farm to the world and they will show it in a way that suits their agenda not necessarily how it really is. So um, openness and transparency all the way is what I would encourage. Brilliant, thanks Anna. And uh, how can people find out about Just Farmers? Yeah, all you have to do is go to our website, justfarmers.org. There's an application form on there, download it, fill it in and email it back to me uh, and or Alex, Our, our email addresses are on the website. And um, if there's a place available, we'll be in touch and it won't cost you a penny. It's fully funded um, and it's really worth doing. So please do step forward and tell us all about yourself. Thanks to
1: Anna Jones there. And if you want to check out farmers who are telling stories well online, Anna has made some suggestions of people to follow, which you'll find in the text description of this episode.
0: Thanks to Jez and to Anna. Now with beef prices soaring, I've been catching up with Glesney Phillips at HCC about why the prices are where they are and where they may head next. Yeah, so
3: cattle prices, well, they've been rallying since the start of this year, as you said, and that's off the back of a good end to 2020, really, despite all the Brexit worries that we we had during then. So since the beginning of March, we've been seeing uh, prime cattle prices, well, seeing week-on-week price increases, really, and that was especially for, for steers. So steers have been creeping up and up and up towards that four pound a kilo mark um, during the last month or so, and then the average did reach, at, well, and exceed actually that four pound a kilo mark during the weekend in the 24th of April, um, and then during the week that followed, then the steer average price increased increased further, and it averaged around four pounds and two pence a kilo for the weekend in the 1st of May. So this is quite the milestone. Um, as we've not really recorded deadweight prices over the £4 a kilo mark quite a few years. Well, not as long as I can remember anyway. <laughs> so it is quite significant really to, to see the steers creeping up and over that, um, that £4 a kilo. And then just to put that in, well, slightly more perspective or, or the bigger picture, prices during this time last year, they were around the, the £319 or, or 320 mark for steers. So that's over 80 pence higher than a kilo that we're seeing right now. And the average for this time last year, over the last five years, um, has been around the 3.35 a kilo. So again, prices are significantly higher at the moment when we compare them to the the historical average that we've we've got on uh, record. Well, as always, there's many factors really that influence prices. Um, But I guess it mainly boils down to that there is an imbalance between the supply and demand side of things at the moment. Um, So there's a tight supply of cattle on the market, and that's mainly due to um, a number of producers having taken advantage of the strong prices that we had um, during the second half of last year. And they maybe bought cattle forward um, a little sooner than what they usually would have, and the Brexit deadline um, probably played a part in that decision as well. So as a strong supply of cattle came forward during the second half of last year, there's fewer cattle available um, during the start of this year. So we've got um, throughput figures for, well, up until March this year, and those figures do reflect that there's a tight supply. So prime cattle throughput um, in the UK for the January to March period, it's down almost 3% on the year, and adult cattle throughput is also down about 5% on the year. And So we've really seen a reduced kill here in the UK. And, well, this tightness in supply alone would be giving support to farmgate gate prices on a on a good day anyway um, but the tight supply is being coupled with a firm demand from consumers but that's mostly at retail so domestically produced beef it's mainly destined for retail in the uk and with the food service still not quite up to full speed the demand for beef has been strong because well we've all been stuck at home So we've been cooking more and many have been trying out new recipes, etc. And including beef and and red meat in their diet. So even as the food service begins to strengthen, the, well, hopefully warmer weather will encourage um, more consumers to have barbecues. And this will hopefully keep up the demand for beef burgers and and grills, etc. So this firm demand is also giving support to prices at the moment.
0: And like you say, we've all been stuck at home. and Hopefully that's uh, going to come to an end uh, over the next uh, few weeks and months. We're all hoping so. And people are sat out in the beer gardens having a a beer and a burger or or whatever they're doing at the moment. Um, How could that affect prices going forward?
3: Well, yeah, there is a lot of unpredictability um, at the moment. But these positive trends that we've been seeing with the level of, of domestic consumption of beef, it's been really positive news um, to the sector really, and it's something that we didn't really expect. Um, so moving forward, we'd hope that this demand um, would stay up, but obviously demand coming from the food service sector um, will increase. So it is likely that um, consumption of beef then will move to more out of home. Um, so it's difficult to predict really what kind of impact this will have on uh, farm gate prices that we're seeing here in the UK um because yeah the the demand for british cattle it it likely will change a little so yeah we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out
0: Uh, i don't know whether we might be able to touch on whilst we have a few minutes um just about the land market as well obviously prices are are high in the in the sheep markets as well aren't they
3: yeah yeah so the cattle prices they've been rallying but yeah the sheep trade um has been really good as well it's steadied off a little bit during the last couple of weeks as those spring lambs um, have been coming forward. But yeah, when you compare them to year earlier levels, um, both old season and new season lambs are flying really at the moment, to put it, put it clearly. Yeah, and we've seen Easter um, was, was all right. Demand of Easter was, was better than last year. Um, and Ramadan at the moment, that's keeping up demand for the older sheep. So those prices for the for the calves are holding up as well. So again, moving forward, um, I think it's all about the, the lifting restrictions and how that's going to change the demand for both beef and lamb, um, but also overseas. So in our export markets, um, demand there has been um, lacking, to put it lightly. So hopefully with the, the restrictions lifting here in the UK and hopefully overseas, that, that we'll see the demand kind of still there for beef and lamb. But I'm sure that question, um, well, many people are probably asking the questions uh, whether or not these high prices are sustainable. So it is, as you said, crystal ball, it's quite difficult to predict what will happen
0: to these prices. Thanks to Glesney. It'll be interesting to see how the prices develop as we come out of lockdown. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite platform so you don't miss any episodes of Over the Farm Gate. And make sure you're following Farming Can on all your social media and using the hashtag Farming Can to tell your story using all of Anna's top tips. Until next week, from all the team at FJ, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.